So what do these topics have in common? Kink, teens in love, dental dams, porn literacy, emotional abuse, and orgasms. I think that they're topics that are often left out of the traditional sex ed models, but they're so vital because a lot of people don't learn these things until later in life when they've encountered a situation where they need to learn them, or some people never really do. And this causes issues with thinking, am I normal? Why is my sex life just so unsatisfying? Shame and guilt, and also not to mention, a a lot of emotional abuse. So I want to talk about these things. I think it's so important for teenagers and young adults especially to have the resources to learn about these things. So this is another polls results podcast episode where I go on my Instagram, my new Instagram, Beyond Bedroom Podcast, and I ask my audience some questions. Usually, right, it's the Q&A was they ask me, but I pose a couple questions and I let them vote. You don't need to follow me in order to participate in these polls. So if you're a listener and you want to participate, just go ahead. Every Monday, they're up. So the first question that I asked was, do you think that people are more kinky now than before in history? So this wasn't as much of a landslide as I thought it would be. Um, 60% of you said no, and 40% of you said yes. So not totally split, right? But I think people are probably not more kinky by nature, but we probably have more recorded people in practice. And it's hard to really get the numbers on this, right? It's not that long ago, but even in the 40s with the Kinsey Institute, I mean, we know that people were doing kind of kinky stuff. They had fantasies about kink. And archaeologists have unearthed a ton of dildos, sex devices, pleasure torture mechanisms, and a ton of... There's a prehistoric dildo that was uncovered in a cave in Germany, and it's made of siltstone, and it's estimated to be around 30,000 years old. And it's not exactly tiny, so we've definitely used sex devices, we've definitely practiced uh, kink for a very, very long time, not to mention all of these depictions of sex and kink from ancient drawings and texts and sculptures. And people might be exposed to more kink now, um, as in various types, because some people don't know that they're into something until they've been exposed to it. But then there's also people that have this urge to try something without necessarily having seen it somewhere before. And both are totally valid uh, types of kinky people. It's hard to tell really if there's some type of huge amount more, but I would agree with the majority of you who said no. I think people have always been kinky. So since people have always been kinky, why do we not like to talk about it? Uh, I think the majority of people do practice some sort of non- traditional sex, right? I'm not even including like queer kink in this, but that's a huge part of it when you think about what's traditional and what's not, right? Just is totally flipped on its head when you start talking about queer modalities. I think honestly, I mean, the amount of people that come into my store and buy kinky stuff, it's, it's always like people think, oh, I'm different from everyone else who's kinky because they don't talk about it. But in reality, I mean, these people might work in the same office together. And I understand that not everybody wants to talk about these things because they want to keep things private. I mean, I share a lot of myself online, obviously, but I still keep a lot of things private. Like there's a lot of things that people don't know about me, um, especially about my sex life. I, I think that I have a good way of showing like, oh, I, I talk about my sex life, but 
there's so much that I don't think I'll ever talk about because it's private. It's also like I want to respect my husband's privacy, obviously, even though he's pretty open as well. But I think people have this idea, some people have this idea that a certain type of person is kinky, like you'll see it on them or something. But I think learning about kink and aftercare and safe words and boundaries is really, really important. Um, a colleague of mine just told me last week she said i think that the bdsm community here in iceland is like the healthiest community in terms of when conflict arises in the like the board and i was like you know what i would not be surprised because they know how to communicate effectively they know how to respect each other's boundaries they're all about consent they know how things work in terms of conflict resolution i mean there's so much good stuff that you can learn from kink communities so totally agree with her and also just in general think that this is something that we don't give enough resources to teenagers but teenagers can be kinky it's something that a lot of people don't want to think about but it's true and a lot of really kinky people realized they were kinky when they were like kids so resources for understanding this part of yourself are so important and i'll have some really great resources this time around in my show notes on to the next question so have you ever learned something about sex for the first time through porn so this was more of a landslide right so 74 percent of you said i think so and 26 percent said no so of those 26 percent that said no i did i did ask a couple questions um a lot of people said they either just didn't watch a ton of porn until they were older and at that point they'd already seen stuff in movies or books or some people didn't watch the type of porn that uh would teach them anything new like some this one person told me that they never even saw like a woman someone going down on a woman in porn like they never even like they just skipped past it or they just didn't notice it or didn't see it so they were just penis in vagina that's it straight vanilla missionary kind of style porn that's it and like i love that that's what they get off on they know they're like this is my category but then he was saying like i'm always so surprised when i see like ads on the side and i was like so you probably did see something in porn inadvertently that you'd never seen before and he was like oh yeah now that I think about it, I definitely saw ads for things on the sidebars and I was like, huh, I've never seen that before. So yeah, I guess so. So, you know, I think, you know, I'm born in 1995. So I I don't remember a time without the internet. However, I do remember a time without internet regulations because, uh, and not in the, in the legal sense, because I know that happened in 1996, right? But I'm talking about like, I really kind of just stayed in my lane when I was a kid. I played a lot of like Barbie games and Barbie.com was my jam. I never really ventured into like anything that I wasn't really supposed to be on i remember getting like butterflies in my stomach on youtube by seeing a video of like two girls kissing and i was like this happens but other than that i was probably already like 11 by that point but other than that i never really you know ventured into anything like too hardcore and then when i was a teenager i remember this guy friend of mine showing me this video and he was like oh my gosh have you seen this and it was just this like intense like fuck machine 3000 anal like video and i was like what i literally had no idea that this existed (laughs) 
And uh, he, since uh, he was like a kid, had been seeing this stuff. And I don't really want to get into the whole like porn discourse now. Obviously, it's a different time now than in 2004 or whatever. But it's it's definitely like I remember him telling me when we were older, he was like, yeah, I mean, I saw a bunch of stuff because my older brothers would just like leave their search history uncleared. And he would just go through it and be like, hmm, what's this? And he saw so much stuff. And the way he describes it, he's like, it honestly didn't like damage me. I just was like, oh, okay. And he's not even a kinky person really, which is really interesting. So I think it's like you either kind of are, or you aren't. It's not one of those things where you like see so much stuff that you become kinky. I think people mistake this whole thing with being desensitized. So he said for a while he was totally desensitized to like violence and um, boundaries and stuff like that, which makes sense because you know, he was seeing this stuff and he wasn't, he didn't know how porn operated, right? He didn't understand what the industry was all about. And the only information he ever got about it was like his mom being like, porn is the worst, most disgusting, vile human experience. And you're basically watching like murder if you watch it. Like that was her like take on it. So now he feels like ashamed and he can't ask anyone like what's going on. He's basically like watching all this porn. And the way he described it too, he was like, I wasn't even getting off on it when I was like a kid because, you know, I just was like, what is this? But basically, um, it wasn't until he was older when he started reading about what actually happens on porn sets, whether it was on Vice or some porn star writing something. And he was like, oh, okay, there's a ton of stuff that they cut out. And it makes sense now. Like, I can't just go and like do that to someone. Obviously he knew that. But he also was like, well, you know, I didn't even realize like the little things, right? Like you can't just put, like if you're doing anal, you can't just be like, okay, I'm going to take this out and put this in your vagina now. I mean, that's not like safe or healthy. And he was always like, how do they do that? And it's because they douche a ton. And, uh, you know, they probably change the condom and cut away. And it's, you know, stuff, it's just magic of, uh, it's like TV magic, right? I always hear this and I don't know who exactly started this phrase, but a lot of sex educators use it, right? It's, you wouldn't learn to drive a car from watching an action movie. So you shouldn't learn how to have sex through porn. It's entertainment. It's not education. And I totally agree because, you know, um, it would be kind of ridiculous to learn how to drive a car watching like the Fast and the Furious. But at the same time, if someone said you can't go to driving school, you can't learn how to drive a car from watching YouTube or reading about car safety, the only way that you can drive this car is by watching Fast and the Furious. That's kind of what's happening. A lot of people, the only time that they ever really see sex or learn about sex is unfortunately through this uh, porn. When I say unfortunately, I'm not bashing porn, right? I'm just saying I wish there were more resources available. At the same time, the resources are there. I think that there's this gatekeeping of uh, parents and teachers not wanting to talk about it. Because I remember when I was in, I, I think middle school or high school, I got this like weird porn literacy thing where it was like, if you watch this within a couple weeks, you'll be addicted. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I know people watch porn. They're not like watching it like 40 hours a week. Like, I, I was just so confused. I think a lot of boys in that class were super uncomfortable because they were thinking like, oh my God, am I addicted? 
because I watch it a couple times a week and you can't necessarily like be quote unquote addicted to pornography, but it can become a compulsion, uh, just like a lot of other things. But because it's connected to your dopamine, right? Like you're masturbating, you're having an orgasm, you're ejaculating, that becomes kind of a dangerous combo. Not to mention like the visual aspect of it that you can just see whatever you want, whenever you want. It's not that porn is inherently bad. There's just, you need literacy around it and you need also resources in case it becomes a compulsion for you. There's people that have compulsions to watching uh, the same show over and over and over. It's the same thing, like that dopamine hit and also distraction from things around you. I think we need to treat those things the same way. And so for what's left out of your sex ed, I think that it is it is so common that people learn about something in sex for the first time through porn. And I myself, when I realized that I liked girls, I remember looking stuff up online and being like, well, how do they even have sex? Because the only time that I ever saw anything was about like scissoring, right? So I'm very happy that I found, I'm pretty sure it was like Scarletine or something similar where I could learn about like the realities of queer sex as opposed to just trying to imitate porn. You know, it's, it's so common and it isn't it isn't like porn is all bad right and i've said that again and again but erotic content has existed forever and it's been an awakening or a learning tool for so many people throughout the ages but i think porn literacy needs to be taught and not in a fear-mongering way because people need to understand that the in that industry porn they make it look professional on purpose. I mean, there's a whole cast and crew, right? And, you know, there's a lot of things left out of the mainstream porn industry that, you know, might include like body hair, cleanliness steps, like hand washing or switching condoms, like I mentioned, douching, stuff like that. In, uh, like in California, they get tested as required by law. And that's not talked about or shown, obviously, because that's not entertaining. So that's why I think this rise of like DIY porn and amateur clips and stuff like OnlyFans might actually be beneficial in the long run to the porn industry because of the diversity that we're seeing. And I'm not just talking about in body sizes, but the types of pleasure and the reality of the situation. I mean, there's people that are making porn with their uh, partner and showing really intimate moments and showing also the process of getting warmed up and they're not making these huge edits, right? I think a lot of the time also what happened, especially in the early 2000s, that porn stars were like othered. They were considered these like larger than life celebrities that nobody talked about, which is really interesting because they were super, super, super famous, but they were not household names, right? So I think that porn is heading in this more realistic direction due to the digital sex work rise. And there are obviously Obviously people that are super famous still now you get to see like what she had for lunch and um the lives of the person that you're also watching in porn and i i know like a friend of mine he said i love knowing that like you know i can subscribe to someone's only fans and then i can go to her instagram and see who she's excited to film with next and see that she like got a puppy and she's like really happy and it just kind of connects me to her more as a human and i like when he said that because i think it takes guts 
guts to admit like when guys admit like you know they definitely othered porn stars and whether it's like the Madonna horror complex or whether it's just the kind of over the top sensationalized like we can't talk about her but we have to kind of worship her and also humiliate her kind of thing I don't know but anyway the stigma still exists right for any sex work but I've heard from so many guys that they like this casual and human nature of this setup and a lot of queer porn is more diverse and realistic as well which is great but teaching teens about porn without making them afraid of erotic content or themselves as viewers is a tricky balance but um, I'm gonna link some uh, resources in the show notes because I think it's really important so if you have a teenager if you know a teenager and you have these conversations with them uh, let them know that there are resources for them I want to take a quick moment now to remind everyone that I am a brand ambassador for Mod, and I partnered up with them to give you a discount code. It's Birna10, that's B-I-R-N-A-10, and you can use this on your entire purchase, and it'll be linked in my description for this podcast and in the show notes and on my site. It's everywhere, so you can't miss it. They have intimacy products, they have bath body stuff, they have vibrators. Um, check them out, and this is not just for first-time customers which I love because I was not a first-time customer when they reached out to me. I've been a fan of their brand since 2018. I keep just falling more in love with this brand because they're doing a bunch of cool stuff and they've changed their direction now and it's so chic and I'm really happy about being a brand ambassador to such a cool brand. So if you want to support the podcast buy yourself a vibrator (laughs) and tell them I sent you. So another question I asked my audience was have you ever thought to yourself Is it normal to be turned on by this? 85% of you said yes, and 15% of you could not relate. Hello, I have. I mean, I think most people have, uh, not just in this little small sample study, but overall, I mean, who hasn't at some point in their life, I mean, whether they were a teenager or an adult, been like, okay, isn't this a little bit too much? It could be an irrational fear. It could be an intrusive thing thought but it could also just be something that you thought is not normal but it really is like bondage teaching people about the realities of kink or fetish is super important like i talked about but also just normalizing these questions and being like hmm do i want to be turned on by this that's not something you can really change right but you can change your reaction like how am i going to react by the arousal because a lot of the time people get aroused by what our brains think is sexually relevant material and i've heard especially from young men oh my god i got a boner when i heard about this horrible story you know and i don't know why because i wasn't aroused by it and i was like well sometimes our bodies just do that and it's okay and there's nothing wrong with you and you can just say okay body like this is not the time this is sexually relevant sure but not what i want to feel right now it's really that simple and i think the fact that a lot of people don't know that they think that if i'm getting aroused in my body it must mean that i'm aroused in my mind and you know there's genital non-concordance it it's just you know and sometimes that swings totally in the other way for people where they get aroused by something in their mind and their body just does not react, which is another form of genital non-concordance. I won't get super sciencey, I promise. I'll reel it back. But basically, 
It happens. It's okay. If you're aroused by something that you don't want to be aroused by, there are ways to work through that. And I think those tools are what is missing from sex ed. And I think this is a great discussion, especially for people that are around 70 to 70, 17 to 21 year olds, but I'm sure some 70 year olds could also benefit. That's the age where people start to apply more of this existential question to their sexuality and whether they are conscious of it or not, they are starting to do that. And I think a lot of people start to also question and dig a little deeper into their shame at that age. I know like a lot of people also start to feel ashamed about like I mentioned earlier like the type of porn they watch, this kind of stuff that they're into. Um, but they need to be able to work through these things without being demonized and whether they're into something that's genuinely harmful to them or others um, they need to be able to have the resources to work those things out but some people dm'd me the stuff that they thought about i love when people trust me with this stuff because it just makes me feel like i'm i'm really doing my job you know because i honestly like thank you so much for trusting me with this information it's very private and personal and I respect that a lot and I never share anyone's confidential info. But here are the, and I got, you know, even though I'm not naming names here, I got consent to, to share these things. But here are the things that people said, am I normal for being turned on by this? And I promise you that every single one of these is totally normal. So here they are. Remember, these are quotes from other people. Lesbian porn, even though I'm straight. Gay porn, even though I'm a straight woman. A man who is attentive and caring in porn. Being called a slut by my boyfriend. Watching my partner come while I sit in the corner clothed. Fantasizing about my boyfriend watching me have sex with someone else. Double penetration spitting in my mouth and the list goes on basically you guys are okay just learn about the principles of kink and aftercare because these principles including those of self-reflection observational sexual thoughts and more they're so vital to teach people so you know a lot of people also are way more kinky than they want to admit to themselves but because they don't want to admit it they avoid learning about it I promise you it's okay, you're all normal. But with some of these things like being called a slut and voyeurism, just learn about the safe, sane, consensual model and other, you know, kink models because you definitely, you want consent and safety to be a priority no matter what you're into. So the next question was, have you ever seen a dental dam in real life? And this answer will be a little shorter. So, so 83% of you guys said nope. And only 17% said yes. And of those 17%, I saw some fellow sex educators and some other people that work in either the sex industry or in sex toy stores, etc. So I was like, oh, those are my people. <laughs> we have, we're the ones who give the dental dam uh, presentation often. Uh, I know this is something that's like, ugh, really? Like we're going to talk about dental dams, right? But there is this idea that we can't get STIs through oral sex, and that is totally not true. And I know that dental dams are not popular at all, and they're usually just a condom that's been cut open. But for some people, they might not want to give up oral even though they have an STI, like herpes or HPV, and this could be great. And they're also great for sharing sex toys. I know that people just like roll their eyes when I bring up dental dams, but like I said, there's people that want to use them and they're just ashamed to bring it up because it's this huge like joke, right? 
But if we're just taught uh, that these things are normal and, you know, maybe they just wouldn't be such a big deal. And I also want to remind you that if you were exposed to a bacterial STI, maybe ask for a throat swab as well. If you had oral sex or if you're having symptoms, because yes, you can get it in your throat. I'm looking at you, chlamydia and gonorrhea. Those are especially common to have in your throat. The next question was, do you think that teens can actually fall in love under the age of 17? From a research standpoint, there's not really a measure, like a true measure of how in love a person is, but there's been like self-reported and other observational studies done on adolescents. But here is my takeaway. I feel as though not only can kids and teens genuinely believe that they're in love, they can also be especially overwhelmed by feeling this big of an emotion for the first time. And I'm not saying that everyone falls in love for the first time when they're teenagers. I mean, some people don't until I don't know, they're like 40 and that's totally fine. But a lot of teenagers go through this process of feeling these overwhelming feelings of love and it can be a lot. It can be really intense. And even if it isn't their first time, if they're teenagers, it can still feel as though they're overwhelmed by these emotions because they maybe haven't learned properly how to cope with them and all of the emotions that come along with it, just like sadness, jealousy, anger, sexual desire, and extreme joy or anticipation. And these things can be mixed in with anxiety and the changes that they're still going through during puberty. So I vote yes, and I think emotional regulation needs to be a part of sex ed because teaching teenagers coping skills like mindfulness, journaling, or completing the stress response cycle like with music or exercise or whatever else uh, can help them make better choices. And I don't just mean in terms of drugs and alcohol, which the fear-mongering education on those is so bad already, but also in terms of romance and sex and platonic intimacy and self-compassion. Because practicing compassion towards others is often a great skill for adolescents to feel comfortable practicing it towards themselves. And regardless of if it's real love or not, I think teenagers are just going to feel like it is. And looking back, uh, feeling those emotions for the first time for myself, I think it was really intense. And I also definitely felt like things would be more permanent than they were in my short timeline. And although they weren't permanent, I think they did have a lasting impact on me. And going off on this one, uh, I just want to I just want to put a little uh, warning here. If you are the type of person that is sensitive to uh, talking about either domestic abuse or emotional abuse, you might want to just skip ahead to um, a couple minutes from now in the episode. But the next question was, as a teen or a young adult, did you feel prepared to spot early warning signs for manipulation or emotional abuse? And most people said no. And I was definitely in the same boat when I was younger. And it really sucks because a lot of teens that might come from relatively stable homes might also fall prey to this. And people always act like it's, you have to come from like this horrible background or an unstable home or whatever. And yes, of course, those things influence if you are part of an unhealthy relationship or not. But um, not necessarily, right? Because they might be with someone who is great at first and then slowly starts to manipulate or chip away at them by using victimhood or, or emotional control. And I think one of the best ways to teach this is to teach inner reflection. So what is your gut telling you? If your best friend was in this situation, what would you say to them? 
Do you feel drained after being in this relationship or do you feel like boosted? Do you feel like they're giving you a healthy support throughout life? And not only is healthy conflict resolution a great tool to teach teenagers and also just anyone, but helping them spot the signs of emotional abuse is often so vital and it can be life-saving. And I know that sounds dark, but a lot of people stay until it's too late and physical violence is involved. And I know because I was one of them. Another great way to teach this is to empower young people. Many teenagers are already in unhealthy relationships, so it's important when you're teaching this to make them feel as though they have the resources and the support and the courage to leave. And I was uh, in my early 20s when I left my emotionally abusive and physically abusive relationship. I reached out to a friend who was a lawyer for help, and he introduced me to a resource center that completely changed my life and not only did they feel as though I was protected I felt empowered that I was making the right decision and that is life-saving so um you know people always think like the biggest part of my job is just like talking about sex toys and whatever but those things are very very important but I think something that is left out of the conversation is that sex educators often bear the burden of teaching emotional regulation along with the you know sexual aspects of the education because no one else is and we don't want to teach about sex and relationships without also teaching you about the dark sides of this and that it's not always chippy and cheery and how to have the best orgasm it's also um you know how to spot when somebody is draining you completely of either your time, your energy, your resources, like your money, and why you should not put up with it. And here are the resources in case you have no other options. Um, that's why sex educators work with clinicians and work with social workers so closely because we also, we see a lot of the time, like if somebody comes to me and says, is it normal that my boyfriend just like does this in bed without asking? It's usually he's doing other shit to you without asking. So uh, this is something that's really close to my heart, but it's a really big part of why I decided to keep going and be uh, a part of the larger sex education discourse. So the last question is a, a little bit more fun, I promise, but has someone ever said to you, did you come when it was evident that you did not? Definitely can relate to this, especially in my younger years, uh, but 72% of you said that you could relate as well, and only uh, 28% of you said no. And of those 28% that said no, I... Uh, I kind of did a little bit of digging as I usually do and a lot of those people were uh, straight men and I asked have you said this to someone and they were like oh a couple of them were like I have I didn't know what an orgasm looked like <laughs> but now they do <laughs> so that's good because um, Pleasure overall is often left out of the sex ed conversation. And as we know, people sometimes learn only what an orgasm looks like through movies or porn. And people don't always realize that the clitoris is this huge part of the process. And in so many studies, people, uh, most people with vulvas need clitoral action to get off, but you don't need a research paper to prove this, right? Just ask us if we want more or less of whatever you're doing to our clitoris and uh, if you're totally unsure of what to do, a great place to start is just signaling that you're enthusiastic about their pleasure. 
And I know orgasm shouldn't be this giant goal, right? This like check mark. But I'm also an advocate for vulva pleasure, which often falls short because of this intense obsession in society with penis and vagina being the only way that we can really receive pleasure, right? You know, listen, I would never say this to clients or students, but some of my guy friends, I've been like, it's not all about you. And I shake their shoulders when they just don't know why, um, you know, their partner's just never satisfied. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? And they're like, well, you know, this and this and this. And I'm like, well, it sounds like you're not really doing much to their clitoris. So show some enthusiasm and make it a priority to make the other person feel good emotionally and physically during sex. I think enthusiasm and uh, emotional and physical safety and, and priority is the key. That's the secret. Everyone's always looking for the orgasm secret, the magic button to push. Um, I think it's just enthusiasm, communication, all right, there's a couple secrets. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and I'm sending all of my love here from Iceland. And if you want to support the podcast, check out Get Mod and use my code Perna10. You can check out also the link in the description to the show notes for some resources. Check out my writing and uh, hit me up on Instagram, either at, at bbirna, B B I R N A, or Beyond Bedroom Podcast.